Welcome to Well Grounded. This is Randy Conan from the Red River Farm Network. And this is Jason Menke from Acres and Shares. This podcast brings together experts from the world of agriculture and real estate. We'll talk about farmland values, industry trends, and the economy. In this edition of Well Grounded, our guest is Wells Fargo Senior Vice President, Agricultural Economist, and Consultant, Michael Swanson, Ph.D., Wells Fargo has been the largest commercial agricultural lender in the United States since 1997. Based in Minneapolis, Dr. Swanson's responsibilities include analyzing the impact of energy on agriculture and strategic analysis for key agricultural commodities and livestock sectors. His focus includes the system's analysis of consumer food demand and its linkage to agribusiness. Additionally, he helps develop credit and risk strategies for Wells Fargo customers and performs macroeconomic and international analysis on agricultural production and agribusiness. Michael joined Wells Fargo in 2000 as a senior economist. He received his undergraduate degrees in business administration and economics from the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul, Minnesota. He received his master's and Ph.D. degrees in applied economics from the University of Minnesota. Prior to working at Wells Fargo, he worked for four years at Lando Lakes, a large national dairy cooperative based in Minnesota. Before working in the dairy processing business, Michael lived in South America for four years working for Cargill. His first position was with the Burlington Northern Santa Fe Railroad as transportation system analyst. Welcome, Dr. Swanson. It's a pleasure to be on the show today. Great opportunity. Thanks for joining us. Uh, right now, the, the pressing concern in the Northern Plains and really Western United States Part of the Corn Belt is is drought. So what I'd like to discuss on Well Grounded today is the impact of uh, the drought and, and impacts it could have on, on land values. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that Randy and I were talking about uh, uh, before recording is if you're a landowner not deeply connected to agriculture, you might think that the drought would be disastrous for farmers and, and land values, but that's maybe not the case, Dr. Swanson? You know, it's not because obviously the market's giving us a pretty good price. It knows that we're losing production, you know, in some of these regions and good demand and a little bit of a, a supply hit has given us a good opportunity on the board. And it also impacts us through the crop insurance mechanism, which is a big part of how we see land values going forward, whether you own it for yourself or whether you rent it from somebody else. So it's not always as straightforward as a drought's bad for everybody. Historically, you know, we've looked at net farm income in terms of crop yield and, and commodity prices, but it's certainly more complex than that. So could you just kind of run us through the basics of, of farm finance and, and the different streams of income that farmers will, will have in a year like this? Well, that's a great point. You know, and it wasn't too long ago, 2019 in, in North Dakota, that we were talking preventive plant because of excess moisture. So there's a lot of ways for us to struggle to get the crop either in or produced. And so crop insurance is one of those super important things for people to understand. Crop insurance today is a result of our negotiations, a part of the WTO World Trade Organization. The, the days when you could just write people checks based on what they produced are behind us. So crop insurance has become one of the major mechanisms for ensuring farm income at the producer level. So first off, we really want to stop and think about, are you using crop insurance well? Do you buy the right level for the right coverage? And how does it impact land values? I think that's a really key point that it's changed. You know, obviously, cash flow is big. So is borrowing costs. But predictability of income is a big driver of land values as well. 
Bills moving through uh, Congress now, uh, basically the Senate with the WIP Plus programs, uh, trying to get that funded and everything. Is that going to impact as well, or, or is, does that something that comes down the road later? You know, it will come down the road later, and it's going to be the devil's always in the details and when we see what it really means and how it's interpreted. And one of the things that I've been highlighting to the industry is they have to understand farm finance. I mean, if you have 500 to $800 of cash rent and inputs, depending on where you are in this country to do an acre of corn, telling somebody you're going to give them $14 or $15 an acre, is that really going to change what they choose to do? That's something sometimes I think the policymakers don't understand. They don't understand the leverage out there and what the impact could be for those dollars on a per acre basis. So that we, it remains to be seen what this means to the farmer because the dollars are, are, are super important. It'll be interesting to see where the rainfall lands if, if it lands, but you know, there's, there's almost more of a benefit for some of these guys of not having a crop than, than having a crop or having a crop that's, that's close to their APH guarantee unless in, in uh, less prices continue to increase. What, what are your thoughts on that, Dr. Swanson? Well, it, it circles back to what we talked about with the crop insurance being a vital part of anybody's financial plan and the value brings to um, land. For example, I, I can't tell you how many times I, I regret to hear from people that they're going to go with enterprise units, and then they'll have a substantial loss on some portion of their operations, but it won't trigger uh, a, a payout because it's, it's you know enterprise units. It was cheaper. Sure, it was cheaper per acre but it's cheaper for a reason. And to your point, you know, if you're going to, if you can trigger a loss under the legitimate accounting for it, which is of course the only way to do it, it's, you might be better off because once you trigger that loss, all those other mechanisms for the payout come into play. And so it's really a question. Do you want to be penny wise and pound foolish on the crop insurance component when it's become the only subsidized input that you get and probably one of the biggest financial backstops that we have in farming today? especially in a region like North Dakota. Let's face it, North Dakota is not Northern Iowa. Northern Iowa gets a wipeout once every 20 years. Uh, North Dakota gets a wipeout three out of 10 years, whether it's an early frost, too dry, too hot, uh, too wet, too cold in the spring. So it should reflect in, in the land values and the crop insurance rates. Well, that's one of the things we've kind of run into a problem at some points, too, where uh, it's been kind of a one-size-fits-all, which which really doesn't work uh, in some cases up here. Well, let's face it, east to west, North Dakota is a completely different country. I mean, if you're right snugged up against Red River Valley there and you're, you're almost Minnesota rainfall, you know, but you get out by Dickinson, that's a completely different situation. Then you get further out. I mean, if you're out there by um, you know, Williston, it's a completely different world. So you're right that east to west world really doesn't fit everybody's economic profile. And so crop insurance could do a better job of acknowledging those realities across the state, particularly what is diverse as North Dakota. For now, we focused on talking about factors for, for net farm income. Uh, twice a year, Acres and Shares publishes a well-grounded newsletter. And in each issue, we take a look at key land market indicators. So obviously net farm is net farm income is a huge one. Uh, we update interest rates, foreign trade agreements, U.S. dollar supply and demand. The Fed has, uh, has talked about increasing interest rates sooner and later, but what, what's your take on, on interest rates and, and a possible rise in the future? Well, you know, there's really kind of two different time horizons. Let's just say the intermediate, the next year to three years, they should be 
very manageable on a historical basis. Beyond that, I don't know. <laughs> My favorite two answers, I don't know and I was wrong and they're acceptable for economists. Um, so even, even if the Fed does see some upward pressure in long-term interest rates, on a historical basis, they're still gonna be very attractive for financing 20-year fixed rate uh, grant, ground purchases. You know, any, nobody really knows what goes out beyond three years between monetary policy and fiscal policy. But even an increase, we're coming from such record low rates, even, even a modest increase would still leave you in the very bottom range of the historical rates we've seen over the last 20 or 30 years. So that would probably be very favorable over the next couple of years for financing land transactions. That always shows up in the value of the land. With a drought year like this, do we think about expanding or, or don't we? Well, there's an old saying that it's always best to buy things when they don't look very good. Um, if you buy things when things are all, you know, a plus across the board, you're going to pay a huge premium. So, I, I, but I'm going to I'm going to make a point that I think is super critical to farm operators. It's even if the trend is working in your favor over time, it's way more important to buy the best ground possible. I have a bumper sticker which says "Farm the best, forget the rest." And what's the best depends on your neighborhood. I mean, you can't compare um, Jamestown ground to Marshall Field, you know. Iowa ground. It just, they're just different environments, different soils. But what we see over and over again, and this is something that I've observed and I think is critical, is that whether the average or above average ground goes for a good price, that's not the problem. It's when you buy mediocre or subpar ground at almost average prices that you really hurt your family's finances for decades. And so the real trick in this environment, whether it's a good year or a bad year, is to be very careful about what are you buying? Because only buy average or above average ground because everything else is just going to drag you down over the time. We've hit on a couple of the key land market indicators. And, and just because we've got your expertise on here today, um, why don't you bring us up to speed on where you see foreign trade agreements at right now? Well, that's a great question. You know, we're seeing a little bit more normalization in foreign trade agreements. But let's really think about how the world's shaping up right now. China's become one of the market makers in the soybean world. And, and that's been that way for the last 10 years, but it's going to continue. And last year we were surprised by their big buying, you know, 7 million metric tons from the United States, 24 million in total from the global market on the corn market. I don't think that's going to be a consistent feature, but more importantly than some of these trade agreements is some of the dynamics in some of these key export markets, like, you know, whether it's Indonesia, the Philippines, Mexico, that's where the population growth is. That's where the income growth is. And it's really important that we have strong logistics and ties to those growth markets because it's, it's kind of a, a 2080 situation. 20% of the world accounts for 80% of the trade. And I think as we recover from COVID, we're looking at a couple of good years of catch up, especially in some of these markets like Mexico, Philippines, Indonesia, Malaysia, ones that really kind of stepped off, you know, stepped on the brakes during the COVID crisis and hopefully recover to a stronger, more robust demand from the global markets. So I think trade agreements aside, we're looking at a better two or three years out as recovery spreads further into the global economy. How about your take on the U.S. dollar? I mean, that's also another key, key factor out there, and, and that tends to ebb and flow. Well, and with the U.S. dollar, unfortunately, bad news is good news. The bad news is, you know, we have very low interest rates, which doesn't make the dollar attractive compared to some other options. And we're running larger trade, uh, larger fiscal deficits, which doesn't increase anybody's 
optimism and dollar strength going forward. The market's not blind to those two major factors and they're tied together. So the dollar has weakened from last year's where there was a flight to safety um, dynamic. And that weaker dollar is good news for US agriculture. I mean, as they shop around for soybeans or, or for corn or for other ag products, a weaker dollar just makes the US products more competitive. So I hate to get the weaker dollar based on things like excess fiscal spending and uh, low interest rates, uh, you know, this kind of um, a Fed policy that's not a natural policy, but we'll take that weaker dollar. It's very beneficial for exports on a go forward basis, but it's cyclical. What's weak today will be strong two or three years down the road. It never, it never stays in one spot. What about like infrastructure projects and those types of things? That, that impact what we're seeing up here too? It would. I mean, one of the big things about land values is it reflects the basis, you know, because you have the Chicago board. We all watch that like a hawk every day. We see what it does. But you need to know your local basis, whether you're plus or minus to the board. You know, and a lot of that has to do with your local crop. I mean, being dry, having a weak crop is going to mean basis is better in a market like North Dakota this year. That's another behind the scenes element. But the long-term benefit of better transportation, whether it's rail, truck, or barge, or ocean, ocean freight from the ports, is if you reduce the cost of transportation, you make it cheaper to get that grain to a competitive market. And that gets shared in by the producer. And that, that, that higher price via the lower transportation cost is a, is a real long-term benefit to land value. So great, great transportation is a benefit to farmers and it gets buried into the land on value on an ongoing basis. So it's a good thing. Hopefully we do get more efficient transportation from the spending. All of the factors that we've talked about to this point certainly lead to a, a trending uh, stronger land market this this fall uh, into winter. I think probably the wild card right now is just how much supply and demand that we have uh, you know, if, if there's a lot of supply on the on the market, I think there'll be demand, but we maybe won't see prices uh, uh, climb maybe as strong as they, they could with, with fewer parcels available. You know, that, that that's a very common phenomenon. But, you know, one of the things that might hold up land sales is what do you do with the money? You know, there's, there's as many reasons out there to buy or sell a piece of ground as there are people. But one of the common factors we're running into in every asset class, whether it's um, farm ground or stocks or, or businesses is, okay, so you just gave me a great price for what I own. What do I do with the money? I mean, because we're talking wealth here and we're not talking income. And once you sell it, you have to pay your taxes on the gain. And people always keep an eye on that. And then what do you buy that will give you an equal return going forward or a better return going forward as far as you're concerned? And there's really not a lot of cheap assets out there to say the least. When you look at the Price earnings ratio in the stock market today, it's very high on a historical basis. When you look at yields uh, on bonds, they're very low on a historical basis. Commercial property around the country is bid up. So one thing that might be restrictive for sales is what do I do with the money and how much tax do I have to pay? Now, there's always going to be transactions because there's people who need the money, see an opportunity. But that, that, that what do I do with the money, which doesn't sound like a problem to a lot of people, it is a, a problem for people that are actually selling high-priced assets like farm crops. Definitely. I would say in, in recent years, um, I've seen more transactions that are, are family cleaning up assets. Maybe there were 
you know, uh, four siblings, mom and dad or dad, uh, they've got two or three kids and all of a sudden you're going to end up with a bunch of heirs or, you know, just people cleaning up uh, estates. But um, the uh, great point as far as, uh, you know, sellers, that'll certainly be one of the wild cards as well. Well, you know, and that's one of the issues that goes on in the farm, farm market. I mean, it's, it is very emotional. I mean, people don't fall in love with a, with a money market fund. I mean, it's just dollars on the screen. But they do fall in love with um, farm ground that does have a, a historical attachment to them. And so it, it does make farm markets one of the most unique and interesting worlds to work with on an ongoing basis. There's sometimes a little bit more family drama than you would want in a transaction. Plus, you also have the uh, case of uh, maybe buying that piece of ground that's not probably the best because it is uh, in the family or historical. You see that. Another thing that, we, that I, I've observed over time is proximity to your current operations. Maybe they're not great pieces of ground, but you really like the convenience of only having to take the planter over one section. That's great, but if, if you're better off taking it five or six sections away if it's much better ground. But yeah, there's a lot of things that are not necessarily, you know, let's just say balance sheet driven when you look at some of the attachment to farm transactions. So it, there's an old joke, the secret to success in farming is being born an only child. So I don't know if you can go back and make that work. Typically where we'll see cap rates that are maybe, you know, two and a half percent is probably pretty close to the norm for good farm ground up here. But when it dips under two, it's typically neighbor versus neighbor or somebody who uh, who really wants it. Absolutely, you know, and we work with a, with an organization here in Minnesota and they, they make that point. What you want in your neighborhood is to have a number of um, successful farmers who are bidding for additional land resources. If you happen to be in a market that has only one or two um, strong operators, they have a tendency not to overbid. It's it's advantageous to be close to a, a bunch of very strong operators. So hopefully people can keep that in mind as well. Dr. Swanson, I appreciate your feedback today. Uh, as I mentioned at the start of the conversation, uh, you know, the droughts on on everybody's mind up here and you know, kind of my hunch heading into this conversation is that we're, we're in good shape because of crop insurance, uh, increased commodity prices, you know, potential disaster payment. But it's, it's good hearing that from, from somebody who's done their research and homework such as yourself. Any uh, final comments to add today? You know, I would just say, you know, for buyers, you know, you know, the trick is never get too excited or too de- depressed about the market. I mean, if you own a thousand acres of ground and you add a couple hundred, it's not going to make or break you. But if you own a thousand acres and you go out and finance 2000, if you didn't get it right, you're really going to be in trouble. So hopefully what we see is people having that kind of balanced approach, you know, putting in a few ice chips into their boiling water, not chunking in a big um, 10 pound piece of ice into the boiling pot and having it come off a boil. So and I think steady as she goes, keeping an eye on it, taking some of the emotion out of your, of your transactions. And farm ground is going to be your friend forever. It's a great asset. <laughs> Try to buy it smart, but it will take care of you over the long term. Thanks to Dr. Swanson for being part of this conversation. The Well-Grounded Podcast is a presentation of Acres and Shares and the Red River Farm Network. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. It's also available at rrfn.com and acresandshares.com. Until next time, I'm Randy Conan. And I'm Jason Menke.